Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. What I really want to focus on today is what it means to live for heaven's sakes, for heaven's sake, and what it means to be part of the church. Can I tell you the church is essential? The church is essential for, for you. The church is essential for your family. The church is essential for the world because the church is God's plan. The church is God's idea. And we know the church is not a building, but the church is a gathering of people. And we need buildings to gather or we need some type of space to gather in. So today I just want to dive in and talk about what this really looks like in the kingdom of heaven. What is the church's role? What is the church supposed to do in society? And I want to start by reading a passage of a, a scripture in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. It says this, For he, meaning God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness... And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So God has saved us from something, but he hasn't just saved us from something. He's called us to something. He hasn't just taken us out of our mess and he hasn't just saved us from our sin, but he actually has a plan for our life after that. He's transferred us into a new kingdom. See, the kingdom of darkness, that's the culture of the world that's living with a worldly mindset, that's living with a worldview that is different than what God has for us. God has rescued us from that kingdom, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the reason these two kingdoms are opposed to one another, and they're in conflict with one another, it goes back to the very beginning of Scripture the enemy that has crept in and tried to pull mankind away from living in our original intent. The original purpose that God has for us. And Christ came to restore us to living that original intent. Are y'all following me this morning? You see, when the king came, when Jesus came, he came preaching a message. Houston, when Jesus came to earth, he told us, we see it in the gospels, he says, I've come for one reason... To spread the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, so you need to repent. You need to change the way that you're thinking because there's a new kingdom here. And you see, everywhere that Jesus went teaching, he was challenging the mindsets of people. He was challenging religious institutions. He was challenging the way people were perceiving the world. He would say things like in the sermon, the sermon on the Mount, when he was preaching, he would say, you've heard it this way, but I say to you, it's actually like this. He came challenging the culture of the world. You see, when the king came, when Jesus came, the king expanded his kingdom. The king comes and expands his kingdom. And as the king expands his kingdom, you know what he brings with him? His culture. The king expands the kingdom and he brings his culture with him. What is culture? We keep using that word. I, we, we had a whole message about lies from the culture. We had this, this idea that the culture of the world is, is this kingdom of darkness. What is a culture anyways? A culture is simply this. It's a way of life, beliefs, and behavior. 
the culture of a group of people are, are their way of life, their beliefs, and their behavior. And the world has a certain way of life. The world and our society has a certain, uh, uh, certain beliefs. They have a certain behavior that they are trying to say, this is a right way to live. This is a good way to live. This is the true way to live. And it is opposed to the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus came and he came to bring the culture of the kingdom. Jesus came to build his kingdom. He came to champion the kingdom of heaven. He came to teach God's ways of life. He, he came to teach us what is true so that we could believe it. He came to teach us the right way to behave, the right way to act. He came to teach us righteous living, which just means this, right living, the way God intended it. Jesus was all about the kingdom. This is how much Jesus was about the kingdom. Even when he taught his followers to pray, it was so important for them to be kingdom-minded. It was so important to Jesus that his followers would have this image and have this picture that they are part of something bigger than what they see around them. That he said, hey, you know what? When you pray, pray like this. Matthew chapter 6 says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the first thing Jesus teaches us when we pray, God, you are holy. God, there is no one like you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The next thing, can I tell you if Jesus started a sentence and says, when you do something, do it like this, we should take some notes, right? If Jesus says, I'm going to give you the exact play, this is right from the playbook, all you have to do is run this play and say these words just as I say them. It's a beautiful blueprint. I mean, this gives us the structure for how we can construct prayers for our own life. But can I tell you, it's amazing just to read this, the Lord's Prayer, word for word, and pray it out loud for ourselves. This is how important the kingdom is. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first thing that Jesus instructs his followers and his disciples to pray for. Not our daily bread. That's not first. Not asking for forgiveness. That's not first. You know what Jesus says is first after we give God his praise and after we tell God how holy he is? The first thing that Jesus says is pray for the kingdom to come in your life. Pray for the kingdom of heaven to come to the earth. Pray for the will of God to be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And I love that when we look at Jesus' ministry and we look at the gospel and we look at the New Testament, we see that when Jesus started his ministry, after he is baptized by John the Baptist, I mean, it's immediately after that event that Jesus is baptized John the Baptist is thrown in prison that Jesus says, you know what? My time has come. The, this is the purpose. This is the reason I was sent was to go around and tell people what the kingdom is all about. And Jesus sets out. And the first thing Jesus does is he finds some people to help him. He probably didn't need help, right? He's Jesus. But he decided that the way my kingdom is going to work 
is I'm going to call people together. I'm going to give them a purpose. I'm going to give them a mission. I'm going to call things out of these men that I'm, I'm going to go and find. I'm going to call things out in them that they don't even see themselves. And certainly the world doesn't see it in them. The world wouldn't look at Peter and James and John and say, these men are literally going to change the history of the entire world. They were fishermen. The Bible's kind of funny because in the New Testament, in a couple places, it actually says that some of these disciples like Peter, James, and John, they were kind of stupid. So they, they were ignorant. They were fools. These were men that the world didn't look at as very valuable. But Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to pull these men in. I'm going to show them their potential. I'm going to show them the reason that they were created. And with them, we're going to spread the news about the kingdom. And, and they start spending time with Jesus and Jesus is teaching them. And he starts sending them out two by two. He says, okay, you know, I've, I've gone and I've preached different places. I, I've preached on the Sermon on the Mount. I've preached in front of hundreds and thousands of people. But you know what, you guys, I'm going to send you out two by two. And I'm, I'm not going with you. I'm sending my blessing with you. I'm sending the authority that I have with you. But you're going to go out now two by two. And you're going to tell people about the kingdom. That's, this is what I love about our king is from the very beginning, he was delegating responsibility to followers. He was saying, hey, you're part of this. Our king went to the lowest of the low and said, you are part of building my kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you thankful for the opportunity that you have, friends would, to be able to partner with the God of the universe in restoring the earth to what he originally intended? Houston, aren't you thankful that the God of the universe has called you by name, called you out of the kingdom of darkness, and transferred you into his kingdom with a purpose? I'm thankful for that. So the mission hasn't stopped. Listen, Jesus came 2,000 years ago preaching this message about the kingdom, and it's still the same message today. This kingdom of heaven is coming, it has come, and it is coming to earth. And guess what? The responsibility is still on the followers. Jesus came and he trained 12 disciples that became the apostles, the church fathers, and the church is now the champion of the culture of heaven. It's the church's responsibility to carry on the work that Jesus started. It's the church's responsibility to continue to tell people about the kingdom of heaven. The mission has not changed at all. The great commission that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven was for people to continue spreading the message of the kingdom of heaven. Go to all the earth and make disciples and baptize people. The church is not a social event. The church is not something for entertainment. And I'll, you know what, I'll stay off the soapbox for now because I've got it in my notes. But the responsibility of the church is this purpose. To spread the kingdom of heaven. To spread the culture of the kingdom of heaven. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. Our culture, our way of life, our beliefs, and our behavior should be different than what the world has to offer. And I'll just say this, but being part of the church, 
being part of this mission to spread the kingdom, it is the greatest privilege that you have on this earth. Maybe you haven't realized that yet, or maybe, maybe you've grown up in church and you've been coming to church for 50, 60 years, and, and, and that the, the realization of the great privilege that we have to be part of what God wants to do on the earth, don't let church just become a routine for you. I know it's easy. I, as someone who grew up in church, and if we're just being, can I just real talk? As someone who grew up in church and got burnt out with church and got hurt by people in church and got tired of going to church and got tired of doing the same old thing and then walked away from church, as someone who has been there, done that, I understand what it's like to start feeling like this is just a part of a routine that I'm in or this is just something I do with my family on Sundays. The church is so much bigger than just being part of your weekly routine. When you really dig in and understand the purpose that we have as a local church is to spread the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And it is the greatest privilege of your life to be able to join in that mission. The greatest privilege of your life is not pursuing the highest education that you can pursue, as amazing as that is. The greatest privilege of your life is not to be able to accumulate as much wealth as you can to pass on generation to generation to your family, as amazing as that is. The greatest privilege of your life and the greatest privilege of my life is to be able to lay down my life for the purpose of my king. It's to be able to join together with the body, with the local church, and figure out how can we use our resources together. How can we use our time together? How can we use our energy together? And how can we focus on different areas of need where we can make a difference for the kingdom of heaven and where we can make our king's territory just a little bit bigger? It's the greatest privilege that we have on this earth. And being part of the church and being part of the kingdom, it shouldn't be just a social thing in your life. I love coming to church and seeing all of you, seeing all my friends, joking around, catching up. I'm glad that part of the church and part of the way God created us is to live in community with each other. And what that means and what God really intends is for us to really know each other. That's why you need to get in a small group. That's why you haven't really experienced what the church is all about until your very best friends are in the church. As someone who has made a lot of mistakes in my life. Can I tell you that a lot of those mistakes I made was because I didn't have the right friends? Even whenever I was coming to church on Sunday, the people I was hanging out with on Fridays and Saturdays were not helping me much until you really get connected to what the church is all about. And remember, it's not a building, it's people. When you get connected to God's people, that's when you're going to figure out what the church really is all about. Us connecting and knowing each other and being a community and being a family. So it shouldn't just be a social event where you try to find the church that entertains you the most. I've seen it. I've seen it. I, I've seen people who church hop try to find the one where the music is just like they like it. And the preacher preaches just like they like to hear it. And, and X, Y, and Z is nice and the lights are like this. 
And, and if you're looking for a church based on that criteria, you have missed the point. You're looking for some kind of production. You're looking for a show. But if you instead are looking, where's a group of people that I can walk alongside? Where's a group of people where I can really get to know them and they can get to know me and I don't have to be fake and I can take off my mask and maybe I can open up to someone about some things I'm going through. And, and where's, a, where's a church where I can go and connect and, and develop some spiritual maturity? Where's a church that I can go to and connect with a group of people who are gonna challenge me and hold me accountable and help me get closer to Jesus? And where's a church that I can go to and, and join a group of people who are committed to building the kingdom? That should be our mindset. Amen? Amen. The church shouldn't be a social thing. It also shouldn't be a secondary thing. Maybe you have got past that social or, or the, the showy part of like finding a church and you have made some good friends, but it's still a secondary thing. What do I mean by that? You're going to prioritize some other things above church whenever there's a conflict. You're going to prioritize having your kids involved in some other things above church before you'll send them to youth service every Wednesday night. Stepping on some toes? Houston, y'all good? Where is church on your priority list? Because can I tell you where the church is on God's priority list? Number one, it's his plan A, it's his only plan, is the church. So is it secondary? Are you willing to have your family miss certain Sundays because you have these things that happen throughout the, the year that you got to get your kids to or that you want to be a part of? And look, I, I know that there's many people in our church that work difficult hours and shift work. I'm not talking, don't, don't quit your job, please. Please. <laughs> Unless it's really damaging you spiritually, of course. Don't quit your job. <laughs> church should not be a secondary thing to you. Church should be the main thing. Because your purpose, when you were created, the original intent that God had for you was to join with his people and for God to have a special group of people that would reflect his image into the world and bring glory to him by doing his will together. And if it's secondary to you to be part of God's people, then you've missed the point. Your citizenship in heaven should be the most important thing in your life. Your citizenship in heaven, being a citizen of heaven, should be more important to you than being an American. Being a citizen of heaven should be more important to you than being a Republican. Being a citizen of heaven should be more important to you than being a Libertarian. Y'all thought I was going to say Democrat, didn't you? <laughs> Democrats are on the list too. <laughs> if some of you guys would lobby for the agenda of the kingdom of heaven the same way you lobby for the agenda of the Republican Party, God's kingdom would advance in Friendswood, and in Houston. You know what drives me crazy? Here's a soapbox for you. What drives me crazy is when I scroll through Facebook 
and I see members of Life Church getting into it with non-members of Life Church and letting them have it and telling them what's what and then sharing our live feed on Sunday. Because <laughs> can I tell you, for every mean comment you leave on Facebook, they're clicking on your profile and they're seeing what you're all about and they're figuring, oh, this person goes to Life Church in Houston. They have a real ugly attitude I don't want anything to do with him. And then they'll leave us a bad review on Google and Yelp and Facebook. So stop it. Cut it out. <laughs> and I, look, this is why I believe that God's kingdom is here to influence politics. Don't misunderstand me. The king has a plan to influence the world with his ways and the behavior that he wants for his people. And it is supposed to influence politics. It is supposed to influence the law of the land. So when you go to vote, vote as a citizen of heaven. You're not going to find a political party in this country that fully represents what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You're not. But you will be able to discern when you're in there to vote, how you should vote as a kingdom, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? Maybe that means you shouldn't vote sometimes. There have been, there have been elections for local politicians and other things. And look, I know, I know where the boundary is here on Sunday morning as a pastor. I know where the boundary is. I might step on it a little bit, but I won't cross it too much. And I'm not telling you how to vote. But what I'm saying is as you walk in, you're not just an American citizen, okay? You are a citizen of heaven. And your first priority is not to advance the political beliefs of the culture of the world. Your first priority should be to advance the kingdom of heaven. And if you in good conscience, conscience cannot do that, there's no pressure. Because God is going to work it all out anyways. And we shouldn't stress about it, right? All right, I'll get off of the soapbox. Citizenship in heaven should be the most important thing in your life. Matthew 13, uh, verse 44, Jesus is telling a parable. Man, Jesus tells so many parables that start just like this. The kingdom of heaven is like... Da -da -da -da. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. I mean, constantly, over and over, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Here's one, Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, there are some cultural things happening in this scripture that you and I as Americans reading this are like, that's silly. Like, why didn't he just take the treasure? Why did he bury it and then sell everything he had? Part of the culture and the law in this day when Jesus is speaking is that if you are a laborer working in someone else's field and you find a treasure in that field that they are unaware of, and if you were to take that treasure out and present it and say, hey, I found this treasure, legally it is the landowner's treasure. So in the cultural context, this man working in someone else's field finds a treasure that is so valuable to him that he buries it again. And he leaves and he goes and sells some of what he has. Oh wait, that's not what it says. It says, this man buried the treasure again, and it was so valuable to him, it was so important to him, it meant so much to him, 
that he went and sold everything that he had just so he could buy this field and legally own the treasure that was in the field. And the law of that day said, whoever owns the land owns the treasure. It works out. So if we, if you, hopefully I've helped you better understand that parable today and why it always seems so strange. It's because this treasure this man found, he wanted it. It was so important to him. It was so valuable to him. He was literally willing to give away and give up everything that he had just so he could have this treasure. And Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That if you could find this treasure in your own life, that if you could discover the purpose that you have in the kingdom, that you would be willing to give up everything else to have this treasure. How many people miss the treasure? How many people are working in the field and maybe get close to it and, and maybe feel something when they're digging, but never really try to figure out what it is and never really try to figure out what's underneath and never really commit themselves to discovering what it's all about? Then you'll get burnout on church You'll get unhappy with people and you won't really figure out what it is that God has in store for your life until you really jump in and be part of his kingdom, live in his kingdom, adopt his ways, and then you're going to discover a treasure that becomes so valuable to you, you're willing to leave everything else behind. When it comes to the church, and Life Church, I'm talking about us as a local church. Of course, there is the global church, the global body of Christ, the church, capital C. But we have been called together. You and I, isn't that beautiful? Guys, we have been called. God has called us together. God has placed us together. Jonathan, Melinda, God has placed us together. Nick and Kendra, Hillary, Alex, God has placed us together. Matt, Shabon, Gabe. He's placed us together. Houston, God has placed us together. And as a local church, this is what we're supposed to look like. An outpost of heaven on earth. Or a colony of heaven on earth. Outpost is easier for me to say because that's what comes to my mind. When I was in Afghanistan, we had what were called patrol bases or combat outposts. And can I tell you that even though we're in the middle of Afghanistan and the combat outpost might just be a very small area with boundaries that when you were inside the boundaries, you were part of the territory of America. Like regardless of what's happening outside the boundaries, regardless of what kind of government is happening outside the boundaries, when you're inside the outpost, you are in the territory of that kingdom. And church, we are supposed to be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? That the church is supposed to represent the kingdom. The church is supposed to look like the kingdom. The church is supposed to adopt the ways of the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom, even though outside the church things look very different. An outpost of heaven on earth. We're supposed to be different from everyone else in the community. 
We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to talk different. And we're also supposed to have a mission and an objective that is different than what's happening in the world. The church should be raising the flag of the kingdom of heaven in the middle of the kingdom of the world. Does that make sense? We're living on earth, but we're living under heaven. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus said, I have a kingdom. It's not of this world. Make church priority. Make God's people a priority. And again, I'm going to say it. This is why it's so important for you to join a small group. If you're new to Life Church, if you're watching online, if you're at the Houston campus and you have never heard of what, what are small groups or you've never been a part of a small group, we do something here every year and we just do it because we want to make it very easy for people to connect with each other. Because we know that, that coming to church on Sundays, it's easy to walk into a building with several people or several hundred people. Houston, you guys could walk in and walk out and never really connect with anyone. So a couple times a year, we have our small group semesters that start and we give you many options. We have different leaders in the church and we give you many opportunities to join a group that's right for you. If you're a man, we have men's groups and we have some amazing men's groups. We have men's groups that are going to challenge you to grow. We're going to have men's groups that are going to call on you to step up as a man, step up as a husband, step up as a father. They're going to challenge you, but you're also going to meet some really awesome people. You're going to make some new friends. If you're a student, actually, let me just talk to the parents of students. If you are the parent of a student and you're not getting your child involved with the student group and with the youth group, hey, there's a bake sale happening today at both campuses to help sponsor our students to go to an amazing, life-changing conference in Dallas, Texas at Heartland Church called Reveal. Your child should be going to that. That should be more important than baseball camp. That should be more important than whatever event you have going on. Like you should center and focus your child's entire summer around where's the youth group going this summer. That's how it was when I was growing up. We were going to conferences and camps, and you know what? It's a lot of fun, and we got into some trouble. Me and Nick especially got into some trouble running away from the deans at night, sneaking out of the dorms and running around. They might get in trouble. That's okay. You know what they're going to do? They're going to make some friends. And they're going to encounter God. They will make some friends, believers, young people in the church. They'll have that connection. Because your kids are not going to enjoy coming to church until they have friends. Houston, you're a teenager, you're preteen, you're a young adult. They're not going to enjoy coming to church if they don't have any friends. And if they can't drive, the only way they're going to make friends is if you will prioritize it and bring them. So the Reveal Conference is happening. We're doing a bake sale today to raise funds for it. If your child is not set to go on that trip, talk to Pastor Tito at Houston. Talk to Gabe here at Friendswood. Make sure you are prioritizing these things. And did you know we have youth service every Wednesday night? Just saying. All right. And small groups. Is, I think they have the website, life.cc slash small groups. You can go on right now on your smartphone. I give you permission. Some of you are texting right now anyways. It's okay. Or maybe you're taking notes. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I know you're taking notes. You're on that version Bible app. Go on that website. Find the group. 
that matches your demographic or whatever you're interested in. Our pastor is doing a Zoom, a, a virtual group, uh, on a study on the book of Ephesians. You don't have to leave your home. You can join with other people for a Bible study with our pastor. You need to get in a group because you're not going to really understand what the kingdom is all about until you get with God's people. You're not going to understand what the kingdom is all about until you are in relationship and in community with God's people who are united for this purpose, spreading the kingdom. Get in a small group. The church should not, and I have in my notes here that the church will not look like the world. But the sad fact is there are many local churches who do look like the world. There are many local churches, and I'm not going to put people on blast here, but there are many local churches who have started adopting the culture of the world in the way they think, in the way they view sexuality, in the way they view gender. There are some churches who, instead of advancing the kingdom, would rather advance social justice. And I'm all about social justice. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Part of the gospel and the message of the gospel is bringing social justice. But it's not the main agenda of the kingdom. It's like a result. Social justice is just a result of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the beginning, there has been social injustice and the church has actively been an enemy of oppression and inequality, but it didn't come through political and social reform. It came because the church operated as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And it brought along social reform with it. Literally, the gospel and Christianity and the church have shaped and reshaped and changed the face of the earth. The entire Western world has been influenced by Christianity, regardless of what your professor told you. The morals and values that America was founded on were Christian values. Social justice happens when you are living in the kingdom and spreading the culture of the kingdom. So we should not look like the world. The church should not look like the world. And it's very tempting. I understand it. I understand why there have been preachers and pastors and churches who have come out and, and made statements on their, on their faith and belief and, and deconstructed things to make sure that they are aligning with what the world is saying is right. I understand that because we all want to fit in, right? Not me. I don't care if I fit in. I don't care if y'all like me or not. I'm just kidding. I really do care a lot. <laughs> it's tempting. We want to fit in. This is the thing. Like, I, I realize... Like, it's not easy for me as a preacher to stand up and, and talk about unpopular things. It's not easy to be the person that says, yes, this is what I believe about marriage. This is what I believe about the roles of a man and a woman. This is what I believe about, about the Bible. This is what my faith tells me. And it's going to put you at odds with a lot of people. And it's not comfortable. It's not easy. Because you'll get canceled real quick. Somebody could take a clip of something I say and I'll be canceled and all 500 of my followers won't be able to see my pictures of my wife and kids anymore. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm saying, right? Like, we have this desire. There's some kind of appeal that well, we, we don't want to do anything that would make people angry. We, we don't want to do anything that's going to cause, like, attention. We don't want the attention. 
I don't want to be that Christian that everybody knows that I, I'm against all of these things that, that's happening in the world. And look, can I tell you that we can love people and be friends with people and have genuine relationships with people and be full of grace and truth? And you don't have to argue your point. You can just live your life and let that be a testimony and open the door for conversation and also create some space for the Holy Spirit to work on people's hearts. There's always going to be people that oppose the church. Always. There will always be people opposing the church. There's stuff happening in Canada right now where they're trying to pass a bill that would restrict pastors and preachers and, and Christian teachers from speaking about heterosexual marriage. You can research that. I won't go too deep in it. You can, there are things happening where the world is trying to say, no, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And in fact, if you keep saying it, we're going to throw you in jail. It's happening north of us. Don't think that it won't happen in our lifetime, something like that. All right, I, I'll keep moving. We're not supposed to be normal. I know there's an appeal to fit in wherever you go. When you're in school, you want to fit in with the cool kids or you want to fit in with the quiet kids so the cool kids will just like leave you alone. Maybe if you're quiet enough, they won't notice you. Like whenever you go to work, you want to fit in, right? You don't want people to just be opposed to everything that you're doing. But as Christians, we're not called to be normal. We're not called to fit in. We're not called to look like the world. We're not called to look like the culture of the world. We are not called to embrace the things that the world says is good and acceptable. And all of this woke stuff that is happening right now, you and I are not called to accept that. You and I are not called to live by that. We are called to live out God's ways. You might want to fit in. That's not what we're called to do. The church has been called to be exceptional. You have been called to be exceptional. And I know the, the, the thought that comes to your mind is like, I've been called to be great. And that's true. But you're also called to be the exception to what's normal. You are exceptional. That means you are the exception. The world is doing this except you. The world is thinking like this except you. The world says this is good except you. We're called to be exceptional. God has something better than us. And guess what? It's not because we're better people. Certainly not. I'm a terrible person. Like Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. There's not, you guys, you guys think you, you, you think, you think you, you're messed up. You think you got a past. You ain't got nothing on me, okay? I'm a terrible person. I'm not better than anybody else. But guess what? God has called me to greatness. God has called me to be exceptional. God has called me to a better life. Jesus has called me to abundant life, more and better. And it's not because I'm better than anybody. It's just because that's part of being in the kingdom. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. Once you're in God's kingdom, guess what? He's got more and better life for you. Not normal. Because what is normal? I've lived normal. Normal looks like divorce. Normal looks like addiction. Normal is broken families. Normal is fear and anxiety and depression. Normal is fighting and rioting and protesting. Normal is squabbling on Facebook constantly. I don't want normal. I don't want to be part of that. I'm over it. I'm sick of it. I want to be part of what God's doing. I want to be part of what God is seeing in the world. I want to see it. I don't want to look at the world and see all the mess and the threats of war, and the sickness, 
and, and the anger and the division. I don't want to look at the world and see that. I want to look at it and see what God sees. Where is God moving right now? What's God doing right now? What is God doing in the middle of this pain right now? And where does he need me to be? What's God trying to work into my life through this bad experience that I'm going through right now? How is God going to be there to, to strengthen me and give me wisdom and give me peace? You're in the world. You're not of the world. I want to live for heaven's sake. You know what I love so much about this particular local church? Friendswood Campus and Houston Campus, both campuses. Look how diverse we are. I'm saying racially diverse. It's a beautiful thing. Life Church is so racially diverse. God, it would be so boring if I was going to church with just a bunch of white people. <laughs> just saying. I, I can't tell you how much I love when our worship team sings songs in Spanish. I don't understand a word of it. I love it. Or when Yuli sings in his language, y'all. How beautiful is it for us to be able to be part of a church that is racially, culturally diverse? Because you know what the world is doing, right? The world doesn't look, the, the world is, is classifying people according to their race. You see, there's stuff happening in the culture right now where people want you to identify by your race and by your culture and join their group with their agenda and everybody else is the bad man. I'm like, I'm a white male, American, middle class. I'm like the most evil person in America up here. According to what the world says, right? Like as much as, as the world wants to talk about inclusivity and, and equality and all this stuff, all they're trying to do is put you in a group according to what social class you are or what race you are or what gender you are and say, this is who you are and this is our agenda and everybody else that disagrees with you is your enemy. Everybody else that is different than you is your enemy. But you know what the church is? The church is united in diversity. We are united in diversity. Not uniformity. We don't ask different cultures to come into the church and adopt a certain culture, social culture or anything, because we're all part of the kingdom. And we embrace the diversity of the church. We embrace the ability to sing songs in different languages. We embrace the ability for different cultures to express themselves in the way that God has created them. We're united in that diversity. Our diversity in the church is not something that separates us from one another. The way the world wants to separate people according to what class or, or group they fit into. Y'all following me? That happens in the world. That doesn't happen in the kingdom. The world is ready to line people up according to a certain criteria. God says, I'm going to put my people together. And I know there are churches where it's like one culture, one race. I wish, I wish that wouldn't happen. I know that there's churches and they feel safe that way and they feel comfortable that way. And I'm not saying that they're not being used or anything, but how beautiful is it to come into a church body together and it looks like what heaven's going to look like. Like in Life Church, we have black people, we have white people. We have African people, we have Hispanic people, we have Asian people, and we all speak. I would love one day just to figure out how many nations are represented just in our local church. The Bible says when, when everyone's gathered around the throne singing praises to Jesus, that every tribe, every nation, every race, every culture is going to be represented there. 
Uh, Bishop T.D. Jake said it like this. There's every culture on the earth represents a different aspect of who God is. Through the histories and through, through the different ways that God has shaped cultures of people, every culture on the earth represents a different aspect of who God is. And when you put all of those cultures together, you get a bigger view of who God is. We're united in diversity. We're not separated by languages, by cultures, because everyone was created in God's image. Guess what? God doesn't love me more than he loves you. God doesn't love you more than he loves me. God doesn't love Pentecostals more than he loves Baptists. God doesn't love Catholics more than he loves non-denominational people. We're all created in God's image and he loves us just the same. And he's called us to be together as his people. We've used the scripture frequently in this series, Philippians 3 and 20, where Paul says, live as citizens of heaven. Y'all have heard that several times if you've been part of this series. There's something else Paul says there when he starts, and it's not in the notes, so I don't think it's going to be on the screen. So don't stress about it. Philippians 3, verse 20, if you are on your YouVersion app right now, taking notes. Not texting or on Facebook. Paul says, but we are citizens of heaven. But we are citizens of heaven. Why? Like Obviously, if he's saying, but we are citizens of heaven, then he said a whole bunch of other stuff before this verse to really drive home this point. And what he, if you go back and look at the context, is Paul says, but we are citizens of heaven because before this, he's contrasting the difference in living in the kingdom and living in the world, being citizens of culture and of the world and being citizens of heaven. He, he, basically, I'll summarize it. Paul is going through this whole thing. He's saying, the people around you, they're wrapped up in an earthly logic. The people around you, they just have an earthly perspective. The people around you, they're thinking the way that the world things, thinks, but we are citizens of heaven. He's saying, hey, you're supposed to be different than that. Look at this example of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who are living in Babylon, in a pagan culture, in a culture that didn't care who their God was, in a culture that didn't care what their history was, in a culture that didn't care what their form of worship was, in a culture that was oppressing them. They made the decision, even though everything around them was telling them to live a certain way and do a certain thing and bow to certain things, they decided they're not going to bow in compliance to the culture that was around them. They were even willing to die for it. Did you know that there's Christians in Africa that are dying for the gospel? Did you know that there are Christians in China that are being persecuted and cannot publicly express worship to Jesus Christ? That they would be willing to die if somebody came into their house and told them, either you denounce these things that you are saying you believe in, or we're going to kill you, they would say, then kill me. If church is secondary to you, you're not going to die for it. If, if your life could get along just fine, if you didn't have the church, and it would actually free up some time of yours that you've been wishing you could start X, Y, and Z and do different things, you're not going to die for it. I'm not saying you have to die for it, but it should be important enough to you that you would die for it. And that's not a popular thing to talk about in America. But the truth of it is, for generations, you and I are here for this reason, because people were willing to die for it. And we have unity and diversity, not uniformity. So who, who are your people today? 
Who's your family today? Is it that you have a family, a group of people that you have aligned yourself with and committed yourself to who have a political agenda, who have a social agenda, who have a cultural agenda? Are you more invested in some things of the world than you are invested in the kingdom? Are your finances more invested in things of the world than they are in the kingdom? Is your time more invested in different things in the world than it is in the kingdom? The kingdom is God's family. The church is God's family, and it should be your family as well. We should love the family. We should care for the family. We should fight for the family. I'm talking about the kingdom family, the church, being part of the family. Being part of the family is better than any kind of movement or political party or group or association. Listen, it's the greatest privilege you have on the earth. The greatest privilege you have on the earth is to discover this treasure of being in the kingdom. And the enemy wants you to forget that privilege. The enemy wants, to for, wants you to forget where you were at before God found you. The enemy wants, the enemy's trying to make me forget what it was like before Jesus came and transformed my life. The enemy, you know what's funny is when you're in the Marine Corps, you hate it so much. You do. There's aspects of it that I enjoyed, but man, when I was young, 20, 21, 22-year-old, PFC and Lance Corporal, I was like, man, it stinks. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to wake up at 4 o'clock and run five miles. I hate this. My sergeant's an idiot. I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to go back home and be in college. And then whenever you get out and you're back home, you're like, I miss the Marine Corps so much. It was the best days of my life, best job I ever had. Why did I leave? Your mind plays a trick on you. Brother Robbie knows what I'm talking about. And Yuli too, wherever he's at. Like you get out and after a couple of years, you're like, oh man, I miss it. I wish I could go back. Because you're forgetting about all those times you had to wake up at 4 a.m. and run, how miserable it was. And how you had to be on your hands and knees using a scudge brush and cleaning the same spot and cleaning the same toilet a million times over. You forget these things, and the enemy wants you to forget how messed up and miserable your life was before Jesus found you. The enemy wants you to forget how miserable your addiction was. Instead, he wants you to think back and say, man, it was so fun when I used to go out with my friends and party. It was so fun when I used to go with my friends and smoke a little weed. It was, so, it was so fun when I had all this free time to do X, Y, and Z, and, and I was doing this, and I was doing that. It was so fun. Why did I ever stop doing it? Why did I ever stop hanging out with so-and-so? Why did I ever stop texting that girl? Why did I ever stop messaging that guy? Why did I ever stop doing these things that were so much fun? When the reality is, those are the things that were making your life a living hell. The enemy wants you to forget the high privilege that you have of being in God's family. We're united in our diversity. Psalm 133 Verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasing it is when we can come in this place and the world is trying to divide us and the world is trying to make us angry with one another and the world is trying to make us anxious and fearful of one another and the world is trying to tell us that's your enemy and they're your enemy and, and it's their fault because they're not doing this. We can come in this place and we can say we're living in unity together. We might be different. We might look different. We might come from different backgrounds. We might live different lives. But we are united in our diversity. I'm going to close with this. I'd like just to ask the, uh, the band 
to come back. I'm going I'm to tell you a little bit about the early church and how united they were. The early church in Rome was known for five things that made them unique. And these are not five things that I have put together. These are not five things that I was like, oh, this sounds good as a point, I'm going to preach this. These are historically documented things. These are things where you can go back in, any, in a history book and in church history and see these are documented. The early church in Rome was known for five things that made them unique. They were known, this is what the church was known for that made them different than the world, okay? Number one was diversity. In Rome, it was such a, a political and cultural uh, capital of the world at the time. So many different uh, countries and nations represented, so many races represented, different uh, economic classes. All of these people are in Rome. And the church was known for their diversity. The church was known as living in a way where people were connecting with others and living with others and getting along with others that were completely different from themselves. And it was different than what was happening in Roman culture because the, the elite hung out with the elite and the Jews hung out with the Jews and the Samaritans hung out with the Samaritans and the Romans hung out with the Romans and the slaves hung out with the slaves. And, and the culture did not want these groups to come together. The culture wanted these groups to be identified by their status and be identified by their race and to keep them apart. The culture didn't want the people to unite. But the church was known as a place of diversity. The church in Rome, the early church, that first, second, third century church was a place where people of every race, every language, every gender, every economic level came together and were united. And that was countercultural. The other thing the church was known for was their compassion, helping one another. I don't know if you've ever read a history book, but there was not, there were some brutal things happening in the Roman Empire. There were some things legally that certain status of people could do to a lower status of person legally that was terrible and brutal. The church was known for its compassion. They were known for helping others. They were known for serving others. You know what the church, this, this, there was a whole book written about this. The church, when a plague would break out, when a virus would break out, and the political elite and the rich people would leave the city and go to their estates that were far away from where the virus was so they wouldn't catch it, the church, regardless of what their status was, stayed in the thick of it, serving and helping people that were sick. And guess what? Church people got sick. And church people lost their lives from the sickness. It did not deter them from serving people. If that's not a message for today, where there's so much fear and anxiety about COVID, I hope I don't get flagged for spreading misinformation. I'm just telling you, the early church faced some plagues some sicknesses, and the church was willing to go to these people and serve them and care for them and pray for them and be there for them, even if it meant... The church was just willing to be the church even if it meant they might suffer a little bit. Can I tell you, Christ suffered. Christ, our Savior, suffered. 
Don't be above suffering a little bit. Don't be above some inconvenience to your time and your schedule. Because our Savior, our King, our King was certainly not above it. Our King was not above suffering for you. Our King was not above coming low and getting in the mud. And maybe he went hungry a few days from traveling and preaching. And maybe he was he was tired because he was asleep on a boat during a storm. You have to be tired to sleep on a boat during a storm. And he was willing to be inconvenienced for you. The Bible says he's willing to leave 99 sheep that are found so he can go find the one that is lost. He's willing to turn his house upside down trying to find his lost coin. He, he's like a father who has a huge estate and a faithful son who all day is standing, watching, waiting for his prodigal son to return. He's not inconvenienced. Are you inconvenienced by church? Your king's not inconvenienced by you. Is he an inconvenience for you? They were known for forgiveness. They lived in a culture where they were excommunicated from their families, where their businesses were seized, where they were put to death, and they were known for forgiving easily. Let let me give you an example. Paul, who was a persecutor of the church and killed Christians, When he converted, what did the church do? Embraced him. You know that Paul preached to and was in fellowship with people whose family members he had overseen the killing of. And the church forgave Paul. They were known for adoption. Abortion hasn't been around to the level that it is today. But it was around. Early Rome, abortion was around. And it was part of that culture. And I can show you, you, this is historical stuff. I mean, I have a whole book of early church writings put together that my friend Tim gave me. There there are statements from the church 2,000 years ago where they take a stance against abortion. Now, I'm not trying to look shame off of you, anybody who has walked that road. Shame off of you. Don't feel shame about this. Because the enemy has been working for generations to try to make and normalize that. But the church from the beginning has took a stance against it. And they were known for, look, this is what's amazing. is not They weren't just known for being anti-abortion. They were known for adoption. Because another part of that culture is because abortions were hard to find and they weren't very safe, they had what was called exposure. So a woman would take a baby or a family would take a baby or the baby of a slave that the master didn't want, they would take these babies and literally throw them into trash heaps to be left out, die from exposure. But the other thing that happened was all of the slave trading caravans that would come through would go through these trash heaps and find the babies that had been discarded and they would raise them in a life to be slaves and, and sex trafficking. And the church would go through these trash heaps and find the discarded babies and raise them. That's historically what the church would do was find these babies. They didn't know who the parents were. They didn't know where the baby came from, but they found the baby and they raised the baby like it was part of their family. Why? That's the kingdom. They were known for being sexually counterculture because in that culture, if you were a man of a certain status, you could have sex with whoever you wanted. Your servants, your slaves, children, 
In Rome, it was looked upon as a good thing to be sexually promiscuous, to explore your sexuality. The church, from the very beginning, has taken the stance of heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. And I, I know we've already, look, we've already talked about these things. We've talked about these difficult, uncomfortable subjects. I'm just trying to show you, look, the stuff that we're called to stand for and the kingdom that we are a part of, it's nothing new. The pressure that we might be feeling from culture right now, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. The, the enemy has been coming at the church and God's people the same ways from the very beginning. And guess what? The church has survived and thrived and grown and won battles and won victories, and we are too. And we will not be defeated. We're united in our diversity, but you know what happens when you're divided? The people are conquered in division. Will you stand with me, please? Houston, will you stand with me? I know I've preached enough, so I'm about to end it up. Just so the team knows there at Houston, you guys know here, when we end this service, we're going to do it differently. Because usually we have a call to prayer, and I'm going to pray over you. But today, this is your call. Join a small group. Your call is to join with God's people. If you don't have friends in the church, if you're not connected to people in the church that are making you better, making you more accountable or making you become more like Jesus, today is your chance. And that's the call I'm putting out today. People are conquered in division. Mark chapter 3, verses 24 through 25 say this. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a kingdom is divided, it cannot stand. If a house is divided, that house cannot stand I know there are things that happen in church that hurt because there's people we get in arguments with people we have differences of opinions with people people betray us people let us down this, this campus, Friendswood campus has not even been launched for a year and I've seen it happen here already people becoming offended or angry or upset or let down and their solution has been to walk away and it pains me I mean, I haven't been doing this very long. I've only been in this, in ministry like this for five years, but I'm beginning to realize how painful it is when, when you see people just give up and walk away from the life that God has for them. It's, it's, it is painful because nobody's perfect. But if we're divided, if we're not united, we're not going to be able to stand. And I would say this, being divided doesn't just mean constantly in conflict. It's not that it's not about which campus is better, which campus is cooler. That's division right there. If you have that mindset, get it out. We are one church in two locations. We are one church soon to be three locations. If we are not united, we'll fall. And look, being divided doesn't just mean being in conflict. It means being isolated. It means being separated. You can have the mindset of just coming in, hearing the preaching and leaving, and you will be divided from the body. We are called to be united. And it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes you saying, all right, I don't, I don't really want to open up about anything. I don't, I don't really want to do all this stuff, but I guess I'll join a small group and try to get more connected to the body of Christ. It takes that step. 
So that's the call today. And parents, parents of, of students, please, I, I'm, I cannot tell you how important it is to get your child involved with the students. And I'll, I'll just talk about it a little bit. Like the reason, the reason that I was able to walk back when I realized my life was falling apart and I realized my life was a disaster, it's because I had so, God had so much credibility in my life because of all the youth services that I was at, because of all the summer camps I had been to, because of all the youth conferences that I had attended where God spoke to me as a young person. I had a whole list of things that when I got to the rock bottom, I could think back and say, you know what? I remember those times when God was so good to me when I didn't deserve it. I remember those times as a 16 and 17-year-old in the altar and feeling God work on me and call me and tell me I have a purpose and tell me he loves me. I remember. And if you're not giving your child the opportunity to experience God like that, they're not going to have those things to remember when they get into a difficult place. sign up for Reveal. Talk to our student leaders about when new service is happening. Get your children involved because the enemy is coming for them and their minds. Let's pray together, Lord. And if you are a small group leader that needs to go into